0: Okay, Jesse. the turn-of-the-century murder farm, just, wow. She was really the belle of, well, something. Where are we heading to this time around?
1: When a woman falls to a grisly death during an anniversary hike gone wrong, her husband reports that it was simply a tragic accident. However, it soon becomes clear that his first wife also died in a so-called accident. Horrible coincidence. Or the work of a diabolical black widower. I'm Andy Cassette. I'm Jesse Pray, and this is Love
0: Murder. Hey, Andy. Hey Jesse.
1: Welcome back, everyone, to Love Murder, a podcast about love gone fatally wrong, whether it's weapony wives, lurid lovers, or just plain horrid husbands.
0: You can find Love Murder on Twitter and Instagram at Love Murder Pod and on Facebook by searching Love Murder Podcast. And as always,
1: if you enjoy the show, please love slash murder a five-star rating on your podcast app and help new people discover the show. Also, leaving us a review really, really helps, guys, and definitely having some nice words got us through our maternity. Andy, we are back in action. We're here. We're here. Yeah. I mean, you guys heard us last week, so obviously it doesn't really feel like we were gone. But for us, (laughs) (laughs) it feels crazy and really Really good to be back, even though, you know, we kind of imagined when we came back to recording that we were going to be like having wine again and it's going to be like so fun and easy compared to our pregnancies. Instead, we are exhausted drinking like lukewarm coffee (laughs) instead of like, you know, being like the fun <laughs> new moms we thought we were going to be. I don't know what I thought. I've, I've been through it. I should have known better. <laughs> but yeah, we're we're so excited to be back in the saddle with you guys. Um, thank you so much for all of the well wishes. Um, Andy and I gave birth to our babies five days
0: apart. Yep.
1: yep. Andy's daughter, Echo Pearly, was born on March 2nd. Yep. And man, did I try to get my little guy to like come out on the same day, but he was not having it. He came no. out five days later, <laughs> March 7th. Uh, His name is August Woodbine and we're calling him Gus. So yeah, we can't wait. We're going to get those kiddos together in the summer when Andy comes East. Yep. 77 days. (laughs) Not that you're counting or anything.
0: Nope. Definitely
1: not. (laughs) Yes. So yeah, um, definitely you guys don't have to listen to us talk about our pregnancies anymore. So that's awesome. That's a plus. Unfortunately, now we have newborns. So, (laughs) but I'm kidding. We won't talk about that either. We're going to talk about murder. And love. And love. I mean, that's the name of the game. That's the name of the podcast here. So without further ado, I'm going to jump back in. On Friday, September 28th, 2012, charming husband Harold Henthorne surprised his ophthalmologist wife of 12 years, Tony, with an anniversary trip. Harold had cleverly had Tony's business partner schedule dummy appointments for her afternoon so she would be free for the surprise vacation. In cell phone video footage a colleague captured, you can see the shock and joy on Tony's beautiful face. Marriage to Harold was often extremely difficult. She was clearly touched that he had pulled off such a romantic caper to celebrate their 12 years of marriage. Harold swept her away to the swanky Stanley Hotel in Estes Park, Colorado. Horror buffs may recognize the hotel as the inspiration for the setting in The Shining. It's absolutely stunning and also reportedly haunted to boot. After checking in, the couple texted photos of the lavish hotel room to friends and Harold revealed his itinerary. The next day for their actual anniversary, he planned for them to take a scenic hike followed by a fancy dinner at Nikki's Steakhouse, the most highfalutin restaurant in town. The couple set out on a Saturday at 1:30 p.m. on the Deer Mountain Trailhead and enjoyed the glorious fall day in sublime views. It was a challenging hike for Tony, who had had multiple knee surgeries, made even more challenging when Harold took her off the trail and the two explored the rocky outcroppings and deep ponderosa forest. Eventually, they ended up on a beautiful cliff set high above the ridge where they posed for pictures. The sun beginning to sink in the evening sky, Tony's smile belying the troubles that had plagued their marriage. It was just after that moment that Harold reported something absolutely tragic had occurred. Just before 6 p.m. on his 12th wedding anniversary, Harold called 911 and told the operator his wife had slipped from a rock and suffered a fall of 30 to 40 feet.
0: Oh, the old slip on the rock. The old
1: slip off the rock while no one's there to see. It would take the Herculean efforts of 911 operators and park rangers to locate and assist Tony due to the couple's off-trail location. And when the ranger EMTs finally reached Tony, it was clear that she was dead. What was also clear was that Tony's signature lipstick was immaculate, not smudged in the least. Now, this wouldn't be odd for Tony as she maintained her appearance as meticulously as she treated her patients, but it was strikingly odd in this situation For the last two hours, trained 911 operators had led Harold through CPR exercises in an effort to revive her. Harold had claimed that he had been performing mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. Had he been, (laughs) though, how would have her lipstick remained untouched? Also, why had two people in their 50s, one of whom had bad knees, attempted such a challenging hike? Especially going off trail in an unfamiliar setting. Which just seems like my brother lived in Colorado for many years and he's an avid hiker, and he's like, you do not go off trail like in the Rockies and these like crazy, you know,
0: no wilderness. Well, no. You just it's, don't do it. Yeah. I mean, what is there left to discover, Jesse? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> There's, there's, they make the trails
1: so that you can see everything. You know, there's beautiful <laughs> views right around the ridge. <laughs> the ranger also discovered Tony had fallen over a hundred feet, more like a hundred and thirty, not the thirty or forty Harold had claimed on his phone call. So an extra hundo, an extra hundo. Something wasn't adding up, and when the authorities dug into Harold Henthort's background, they discovered that this was not the first time tragedy had struck his life. Harold's first wife, who also he had been coincidentally married to for exactly 12 years, had died in a brutal roadside accident years earlier. Harold Henthorne was either the most unlucky man on earth or something far more diabolical. And seeing as we're talking about him on a murder podcast, I'm going to go with the latter.
0: I smell something fishy. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Um, when I was telling Nathaniel about this story, he was like, if I was a grizzled old detective at this point, my tagline would be, I don't believe in coincidences.
0: (laughs) It so would be. It so would be. (laughs)
1: Nathaniel was like particularly fired up about this case. Like as we go through some of the stuff, I'll tell you what he said. He was funny
0: today. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. I want to know along the way because I want to know what he was fired up about. Okay you'll probably get fired up too
1: that's kind of your signature i love i love an andy fire up um before we waste our breath on this bottom feeder let's talk about beautiful tony and happier times so Tony Bertelay was a Southern girl born in Mississippi to an oil family, one of three kids. She was bright, tough, and determined, as well as athletically gifted on the basketball court. The Bertelay clan was an exceptionally close family. Uh, they supported one another through each one's ventures, and they ended up producing three really, really successful kids. Brother Todd followed in his father's footsteps and became a geologist, and Tony and Barry both became doctors. Tony was as kind and committed to service as she was devoted to her professional success. Her brother, Barry, would later say that she chose ophthalmology because looking into one's eyes draws a dedication and commitment to the person observed. Wow. I know. It's so poetic. She was also deeply religious, teaching Sunday school, volunteering for church activities and outreach programs and singing in the choir. Despite her good looks and myriad exemplary attributes, Tony had bad luck in the romance department. By the late 90s, she found herself divorced from her college sweetheart and fearing that time was running out on her dream of a long-lasting marriage and children she so desperately wanted. So in 1999, when she met Handsome Harold Henthorne on dating site com, oh. she felt like her prayers were answered. Yeah, Christian Mingle was like, I think the late 90s was when all of the very specific dating sites started, like Farmers Only, Christian Mingle, J-Date, you know, they yeah. really like,
0: they started to like really get uh, specific about what, who you were looking for, you know? Yeah. So you could really hone in on exactly the type of person that you want to be with. Like like a farmer. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but what if you're looking for a Christian farmer? I guess you'd have to be on both. <laughs>
0: <clears throat> yeah. I mean, I bet you list, I bet in the profiles, there'd be like a little cross on the farmersonly.com.
1: Yeah, there you go. Tony was looking for a good Christian man. And it certainly seemed like Harold was playing that part. Not only did he list the Bible as his favorite book. Which, isn't that, I feel like that. if you're on Christian Mingle, everyone has to say the Bible is their favorite book.
0: I would think so. Yeah.
1: <laughs> he also wrote that his devotion to Jesus dominated his life. Oh. He wrote, I'd like to meet and connect with women of similar faith values and interests to develop supportive relationships where we would encourage one another in our walks with Christ. Oh, also, I'm getting all of this information from. Our primary source this week, The Black Widower by Michael Fleeman, which completely completely gives away this podcast when I ask that question. It's like, is this an accident or was he a diabolical black widower? Now, here's our book, The Black Widower by Michael Fleeman.
0: Are you going to leave that in? I mean, yeah. I mean, I have to like quote my sources. guess it's not a surprise.
1: It's not really a surprise. This is a... A podcast where primarily people kill their spouses. So I don't think anyone's like, oh, my God, he did it. (laughs) You guys, this is not a mystery podcast, apparently. I mean, we'll get some this week. Not not this week. There'll be some mysteries, you know, coming up in the future. This one is how and why and, you know, how did the, the cops get him, you know? (laughs) <laughs> I also read The Accidents by Caleb Hanna, which is like a Kindle single and it's free on Prime if you guys are interested. And I watched um American Monster on ID channel. It was um an episode from 2017, which, if you haven't watched American Monster, it's really good. They put it together from home video footage.
0: I've heard about it. I haven't I haven't watched it yet, but
1: Yeah, this is the first time I've seen it. And it was very creepy
0: to so is like each see- episode different.
1: Each episode is a different person, okay. like different killer okay. um, case. And they put it together like there's not really any reenactments per se, like a lot of ID shows. It's really just like put together with home video footage. So it's creepy because you see like the killer being like a family man and like opening presents on Christmas and like barbecuing. And, you know, it's yeah. a reminder that these these animals live among us, you know? Creepy. So creepy. So yeah, I would check that out or just the show in general, because it was pretty good. So yeah, so that's where I'm getting almost all of my information was primarily the Michael Fleeman book, who you might remember as the author of Better Off Dead, which was our killer Costco Christians episode. Yeah. All right. But yes, Tony was religious and Harold seemed like he was as well. And Tony was Smitten immediately, and the two struck up a passionate long-distance correspondence with Harold in Denver, Colorado, and Tony in Mississippi. Tony's family was surprised when Tony introduced Harold to them on New Year's Eve, nineteen ninety-nine, after weeks of secretly dating. Also, 99, that's pretty... New Year's Eve. I remember. Yeah, I from. mean, the fact that he went to Mississippi for Y two K when people were like, "Oh, we don't know what's going to happen." That's pretty serious. Yeah, yeah. I like, was very like.
0: Contempo casuals dressed in a basement in a Chicago suburb.
1: <laughs> I was wearing express pretty much head to toe. I am fairly certain. And I was a waitress for my parents' New Year's party. Oh my God,
0: that's awesome.
1: <laughs> yeah, my dad paid me $100 and like two of my closest friends, like a hundred bucks each. And we like passed out our d'oeuvres and we like snuck some of the champagne.
0: So fun. That was really fun. <laughs>
1: Harold introduced himself as a professional fundraiser for churches, ministries, and hospitals. He was a tall, handsome, if a little too slick man in his 40s. He looks like a youngish Dan Aykroyd playing a used car salesman.
0: Wow. Okay. <laughs>
1: Very specific. Like, he's like, you know how Dan Aykroyd's like, especially when he's younger, like, you're like, he's handsome-ish. Yeah. Like, like he's And then you looking. saw him
0: in Coneheads and you're like, never.
1: <laughs> or you saw him in Coneheads and you're like, mm, yeah. Hey.
0: You have some like weird fetish you need to tell me? Different strokes for different
1: folks. Polish up that dome, baby.
0: Oh my God.
1: <laughs> okay, no, that's not my thing. I promise you. But yeah, like he's like, you look at him and you're like, you're supposed to be good looking, but there's just something slightly like off about you. Yeah. And that's where like the used car salesman kind of schmarmy thing comes into play. Schmarmy. So yeah, he was reportedly a man of means. Like he said that his business was booming. He was very well off. Mm -hmm. And he told the family that he wanted to take care of Tony. And he was also a deacon in his own church, which was of course meaningful to them as a religious family. Most importantly to the Bertolets though, he seemed absolutely head over heels for Tony. And Tony seemed really happy. So when Harold asked Bob Bertolet for Tony's hand in marriage at this very first meeting, He was a little taken aback, but he did give his blessing. Um, Tony's own parents had met and wed within six months and had been happily married at this point for over 40 years. So the whole family wasn't like, oh man, that's like way too fast because they had done that themselves and it had worked out, you know? Yeah, yeah. Which is like, this is my nightmare scenario is because Nathaniel and I got married in 5 months that Alden's going to like marry some dude in like 3 months <laughs> or woman or whoever she wants to marry. Um but I would still not recommend that to anyone I loved even though no. it worked out for me, you know? Yeah. No.
0: The we got a not love murder.
1: Favor. Yeah, love murder red flag on the field right now. <laughs> Yeah, so they were like down with it. But once wedding planning began for the September 2000 wedding, some red flags appeared. More red flags. Here's what the Bertoullais had to say to author Michael Fleeman about some of the oddities. First came the matter of the wedding announcements. He wanted his name to go first, and he also didn't want Tony identified as a doctor. Oh my God. Uh-huh, he did not want to use Dr. Bertolet and Mr. Harold Henthorne said Tony's mother. He thought that was derogatory that his wife had
0: A earned, higher title. Yeah. Yep, and earned so a degree gross. that
1: she had fought so hard for and she should absolutely use. Traditionally, the bride's name appears first and everybody knew Tony in town is Dr. Bertolet. I even showed him Emily Post, said the mother. I said, I'm doing this by the book. Then there was the rehearsal dinner. It was going to be at the clubhouse in my neighborhood and Harold said, hey, could you set this up for me? I'll write you a check, recalls Tony's brother Todd. I said, sure. So I lined it up, rented the clubhouse, lined up the band, the caterer, everything. And lo and behold, guess who didn't pay for it? Traditionally, the groom pays for the rehearsal dinner, Yeah, but it's not like you're going to chase down a bill from your new brother-in-law. Right off the bat, he stiffed the family. For somebody who is supposedly extremely wealthy, why would he not pay the bill? Such a scumbag. He's a con man. Finally, the night before the wedding, Harold dropped by Tony's house. At the time, Tony and her mother were scrambling to make final arrangements for the ceremony the next day, and Tony was packing for the honeymoon. I told Harold, I don't think you're supposed to come over the night before the wedding, recalls Tony's mother. Harold had brought by some shirts, and he wanted Tony to iron them. This was 1130 at night. It was really upsetting Tony. She went into the bathroom and cried. I told her, look, it's never too late. If you don't want to go through with this, I will stop it right then and there. Wow. what? Like you can't iron your own shirts, man. Uh... Well, regardless of the red flags, Tony and Harold were married in a lavish ceremony at a Baptist church in Jackson, Mississippi. The cost and scope of the wedding also struck Tony's family who of course paid for the whole damn thing, is odd. Both Harold and Tony were on second marriages and Tony was 38 and Harold was 45. Usually people who are a little older and on their second marriages toned down, you know, the the second wedding, but not these two. And it wasn't on Tony's design. Like Harold orchestrated the whole thing. He demanded all of like the floral arrangements. Like he was the one running up the budget, even though Tony's family was paying for everything. What a loser. Yeah, it's just, it's so weird that a 45-year-old guy on his second marriage would be like demanding a pretty, pretty princess wedding, you know? did he
0: have a lot of family and friends there or
1: no? So this was also interesting. Um, He had his mom and I think he had maybe a sibling, like a sister there too. Um, He didn't really have a lot of friends, but what he did have was his first wife's family. So his first wife's family came to the wedding.
0: The one who also passed away?
1: Yeah. So Lynn had died in what Harold said was a tragic car accident. So I can see, like, the family was very close-knit. They were also, they had, like, very similar values to the Bertilays. They were also a Christian family that, you know, if it was indeed a terrible accident, it was probably nice of them to support Harold in his second marriage, you know? And I definitely think it was on Harold's part wise of him to be like, look, I'm so close with my first wife's family. They still love me. They're supporting me in this marriage. Because that made him look like a good guy and a good husband, you know? Oh, God. Yeah. So Tony's mother, however, was put off when Harold's mother at the wedding reception mentioned that Lynn's family perhaps blamed Harold for Lynn's death. Like she was like, Yeah, they're nice and everything, but don't you think, like, it's terrible that they, like, might blame my son for their daughter's death? And at this point, they didn't know the details, and we'll get into it, obviously, later. But I think Tony's family just thought that she died in, like, a car crash? You know, like a a car collision. When you say, like, you know, car accident, you don't think about what really happened. Or that the
0: husband was involved or he was responsible at all
1: yeah yeah um so this was like the first hint to tony's family that maybe the accident hadn't been so straightforward and also of course it was a bit off-putting to have that information given to them during the wedding you know yeah so they kind of just were like we're feeling like something is not quite right here but tony really really wanted to make this work and she was head over heels for Harold, so they supported her even when Tony decided to sell her multi-million dollar ophthalmology practice and move to Denver at Harold's request. So this was upsetting to Tony's family and friends because, you know, anyone knows it takes years and years and years to set up a really thriving business practice, especially a medical practice. And she had lived in Mississippi her entire life. I mean, this was where all of her friends and family, business contacts, like support systems, everyone was there. And Harold didn't have family in Colorado. I think he just chose to live there. And he like talked about how he traveled all the time and he was always like traveling for work and he was so important. So it was like, for them, it's like, well, she needs to be in Mississippi. Why can't you move here? Versus, you know, taking her away from everything she knows and loves. Yeah. And it apparently just was not up for debate. Brother Todd recalled that Harold said, I'm an extremely wealthy man. I've got this thriving business that needs to be located in Denver. Tony doesn't have to work at all. She can just be a mother if she wants. Harold even went as far to suggest that what Tony made as a doctor was insignificant compared to what he pulled in financially.
0: And what redeeming quality does Tony see in him?
1: I honestly think this was one of those cases where, you know, 38 is not old. We know that. I mean, I just turned 37 yesterday. (laughs) But I do feel like her peers and her, you know, brothers all had families, and I think that She really wanted to find somebody and she was like deeply trusting and, you know, she was a great person. So she saw the best in other people. And I think she just jumped into it wanting a family, you know, the Bertolais and other close friends felt like Harold was isolating her in Colorado away from all of her loved ones. And they especially felt like this when, when they would try to call, uh, Tony he would demand that she put her phone on speakerphone every single time. That's psychotic. It's so creepy. Yeah. However, the family did have to admit that outdoorsy Denver tended to suit the athletic Tony who loved to hike despite her constant knee issues. In 2005, Tony's joy exploded when the culmination of a lifelong dream came true. Tony gave birth to a healthy baby girl named Haley the journey to motherhood had been an arduous one. Tony had suffered two miscarriages and complications conceiving due to endometriosis. Unfortunately for Tony, the birth was as difficult as the conception and pregnancy had been. Labor stretched on for hours for the 43-year-old until her dangerously high blood pressure resulted in the need of an emergency C-section. Oh my
0: God.
1: Yeah. Now, having just gone through that, I can imagine it'd be terrible. Although I can't really talk because I had a dream birth.:
0: I mean, if I, if I had to do an emergency se- I came and talk. if I had to do an emergency C-section after laboring for 27 hours, I would have been so sad.
1: right? you You had to work for it, man. Yeah. Echo made you
0: work. They wanted me to do it natural because I'm in California.) <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh man. I was like, "Hit me with those drugs. Let's do this. And so, yeah, so it was a terrible birth, but it didn't matter. Tony was just so over the moon in love with her. And and just like, you know, Andy, you experience, it doesn't matter how hard it is. The moment you have them in your arms, it's like, this was worth it for everything. All done, yep. It immediately became clear, though, for all of Harold's talk of letting Tony be a stay-at-home mom or even just cut down on her hours of the practice, we're not going to fly. That was total BS despite Tony receiving an interest in her family's oil and gas business, which produced a monthly dividend between $2,000 and $24,000 a month. Wow. Yep. As well as $320,000 payout that came to Tony after the resolution of a lawsuit. For some reason, even with those and her, you know, has to be considerable salary as an ophthalmologist, the couple always seemed to need money. So Tony became a partner in the practice and was occasionally even forced to take on extra shifts at the hospital to make ends meet. Only once did Tony mention the stress she was under financially to her mother, stating that Harold was always pressuring her to make more money, to take on more shifts, and essentially work herself to the bone, while his business endeavors resulted in little or no income. So Tony was undoubtedly the breadwinner despite Harold's boasts about his successes and the supposedly multi-million dollar company that had forced Tony to move to Denver away from her own thriving practice and all who loved her. So they're like, something is weird here. Also, he wrote these like absurd like Christmas letters where he like boasted about closing deals and stuff, which is just so gross in itself. Ew, like to friends and family? Yeah, he would like write a letter and be like, uh, Haley's wonderful and she's meeting all her milestones and we love her and blah, blah, blah. And also, I closed a hundred grand deal with this person in October. I'm a big deal. Suck my dick, you know? And it was all wise. No. <laughs> well, you'll see. <laughs> uh, this one complaint, though, that she like finally admitted to her mom that like maybe financially things weren't okay was super rare for Tony. Tony was like one of those very. I'm only really trying to search for the word, but it's like one of those people that like keeps everything very private into themselves and handles their own matters and yeah. doesn't like unload on other people and likes to be strong and like, you know, it's very yeah. private. And so her brother said about this moment that for her to even say anything meant that something must've been really, really wrong. Yeah, um because he said I always go back to when she was in high school and messed up one of her knees playing basketball, said Todd, she didn't want anybody to know about it. So when she came home that night, she walked back to her bedroom in front of my parents, smiling, grinning, acting like everything was perfectly fine. She walked without a limp or anything else. When she got back to her bedroom, she fell on the bed and started crying because of the pain, said Todd. If Tony gave you any inkling that there was something wrong, it's a lot bigger than what she was letting on.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the issues of people who want to keep everything private. Then it's like, yeah, you it's actually, just, if you find something out. You're like, uh,
1: uh-huh. If you, if you were like, something is really wrong, I'd be like, Oh my God, we are in trouble because you never tell me if anything's wrong. <laughs> Andy's very much like, I got this covered. I'll handle it myself. I keep my business to myself. I keep my ducks in a row. <laughs> You don't have to deal with my ducks. I'm duck. messy. I'm, I'm like, my ducks are fucking all over the place. I don't know where that duck went. I, I'm like the mother duck in that song that loses all her ducklings. <laughs> when ducklings down at the beach, ducklings Aww. at the pool.
0: Little ducklings.
1: Little ducklings. They always come back, though. It's fine. The final straw for the Bertolays was when Tony was injured in a so-called accident. A little over a year before the hiking accident that took her life, the Henthords had been enjoying a Memorial Day weekend away at the cabin they owned in Grand Lake. At 10 p.m. one evening, Harold called Tony out of the cabin. When she walked through the threshold of the door, she saw something on the deck and bent down to pick it up. At that moment, a two by four or a two by six, Harold could not recall, bored fell from the deck above and hit her in the back of the neck. Tony was rushed to the hospital and luckily had only suffered a fractured vertebrae. However, the doctor said, had she been standing instead of bending down when the plank fell on her, it seemed very likely that she would have died from blunt force trauma to her head.
0: How the fuck does a plank fall out of the air?
1: Harold had called a friend to watch Haley while he followed Tony to the hospital and the friend asked the same question. He was like, what the hell happened, Harold? And he did not say he called Tony out. Tony later told her mom that he called her to come outside. He told the friend that he was cleaning up the deck of debris and he was just like cleaning it up. So he, he admitted he threw the, de- the, the plank over the deck.
0: Um, um,
1: what? Excuse me? So the friend was like, wait a minute. The cabin is not under construction. There's no reason why you should have a two by four laying around. The deck wasn't messy. Like when he got there to take care of Haley so that Harold could go to the hospital, the deck wasn't messy. So what was he cleaning up? And also at 10 p.m., at 10 p.m. you're like, this is the time to clean my deck
0: and now he, after he, you call your he wife, he hit her over the neck with the two by four or two it, by six, whatever he can't remember.
1: Yep. And he only didn't kill her because she saw something on the deck and bent over. That is so bonkers. The hospital did not flag that at all. I, I mean, I feel like I would have. I don't know why they didn't. And I'm I know that for a fact, Tony was like, no, you know, everything's fine. We don't have any abuse in our our relationship, anything like that. She would say
0: that, you know? Well, yeah, abuse, I mean, when you, like, unknowingly get hit in the back of the head with a two-by-four, you don't think it's your husband. No. Wow, that's crazy.
1: Tony's family didn't even find out about this incident for three weeks. Like, he didn't call to tell her family that she was in the hospital having to have surgery on her fractured vertebrae At all. So she, she told them herself and she tried to like, you know, play it down a little bit. Wow. But of course her family was very concerned because they had the same questions you have. Like, this does not sound like an accident, obviously. So when Tony actually got to go visit her family, which she never did, but he let her go home for Christmas in 2011, Tony's mother told her she didn't believe it was an accident and she wanted her to not be alone with Harold. She was like, "I think that man tried to kill you, honey." And Tony was like, "I mean, no, mom." And she said what what scared her more was that Tony was so outspoken usually and she would be like, "No, mom, I'm totally safe. I'm fine." And instead she kind of was like, "I'm fine?" Thought Don't about worry. it. Like she thought about it. Like yeah. she stopped and she was considering it and she was like, yeah. Did not see this really be the case. Yeah, exactly. But unfortunately, despite her family's worries, Tony stayed with Harold. And they talked about it at that Christmas trip. She seemed not happy in the marriage. But okay. they believed that she stayed due to her Christian faith and also the example of her parents, who at this point had been married for 56 years, happily. And she had been really, really devastated by the collapse of her first marriage. And she had resolved to do everything in her power to make it work with Harold. Um, I also, they, in the accidents by Caleb Hannah, he looked up like these writings, like she wrote um, advice on like a Christian woman's blog and somebody had asked about divorce and she wrote like this whole thing about how you can't get divorced and like, Like, if God puts you together, it's, like, tearing apart God's plan and how bad it is for children and stuff. So, like, she really was anti-divorce, unfortunately, too, you know, and it cost her her life. Harold must have been as well. That's why he had to kill them both. (laughs) Yes, it was because he was such an upstanding Christian that he had to kill his wife anti-divorce. I feel really, really, really bad for her family because I feel like you watch something like this going on, and there's nothing you can do when you have adult children. You, can't, you cannot force them to leave their spouse. You can't No. protect them the same way you can protect them when they're little kids. Like you, you have to tell them like, I'm scared for you. I want you to do this. But you can't like tell a nearly 50-year-old woman, you know, that she has to leave her husband, you know? No. Yeah. It's not going to go well. No, and that's what I talked to Nathaniel about it today. I was like, "What would you do if that was old? And He's like, "I would probably ruin our relationship trying to get her out of that marriage, but like it might not work, and she might go even yeah, farther Yeah, but you away have to do everything
0: you. that you can. Yeah,
1: you really do. Uh, so this is just about takes us back to when the accident happened because that was December of two thousand eleven. That her her family was really concerned, and it was like the last time she went home. And then the anniversary trip was in September of the next year in which she died. After reaching Tony and determining that she was indeed passed away, the park rangers impounded the Henthorns' Jeep to be searched, escorted Harold off the mountain, and stood vigil over Tony until it was safe to remove her corpse for autopsy. The effect of the fall on Tony's body had been brutal. This was... Oh, God. I mean, this was a grisly horrible painful death the force of the impact had literally knocked her boots off her feet still completely laced
0: Mm -hmm. oh my god yeah
1: her head wound was so bad she had like had some contact with like a branch or something on the way down and it had almost completely scalped her
0: yeah like lacerated but like Uh uh-huh and
1: one of her breast implants had exploded upon impact. Oh my God. That is so graphic. It's terrible. It's just like, you know, I don't always go into details, but I think it's important to note. This is like, not just like a gentle push. Like he condemned her to a horrifying, terrifying, painful death, you know? Yeah. Like it would have been much nicer to shoot somebody than to do this and have their last like minutes or hours be terrifying and painful, you know? Yeah, yeah. Of course. Which probably was years of being terrified. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. She had a two inch deep laceration in her liver, several broken vertebrae, shattered ribs, not broken, shattered, internal bleeding in her brain and over 27 injuries overall throughout her body. They said blood samples were almost impossible to retrieve by the medical examiner because Tony had bled out so completely. Yeah, that's horrific. It's a horrific death. What was notable in the autopsy wasn't just what was apparently broken, but also what wasn't. Notably, her sternum. Often when someone receives CPR, they're left with a broken sternum from the chest compressions. Yep. So Tony had over a dozen broken bones, but the sternum was not one of them because he had not Yeah, didn't the sternum and the lipstick. Exactly. hmm What else was peculiar was that a sizable diamond from her engagement ring was gone. You've got to be kidding me. And detectives
0: couldn't find it anywhere in the vicinity. You've got to be He pried the diamond out of her You've engagement ring. You've got to be kidding me. This piece of
1: work. Nathanael was like, but why would he do that? Because he's going to get it back anyway. And I was like, he can get it back and he can also get the insurance claim. Wow. hmm And then later on, he they keep asking him about the diamond. And he actually goes back and tries to put it, like, back where she fell. Wow. And they're like, this is absurd. We know you planted this. Because he's, like, getting heat on him later. <laughs> oh, my God. The medical examiner ruled that Tony had died as a result of, mu- of multiple blunt force injuries when she fell or was pushed down a cliff. And he made sure to note that homicide could not be excluded. While searching Harold's car, this is going to really fire you up. The detectives made a curious discovery. They found a map of the state park with X... Literal highlighted X marking exactly the spot Tony had been found. It's just <laughs> it, it's absurd. This guy is so stupid. Like unbelievable. Like X marks the spot of where I'm gonna kill my wife, and then I'm gonna leave it in the car. Oh my God. How do they not think that this is gonna be found? I don't think he realized that they were going to immediately start investigating it as a homicide because his car got impounded right away to be searched and he was shocked like he thought that they were going to be like oh I'm sorry you're grieving you're a grieving husband and you know go home do whatever you want you're fine instead they were like this is highly suspect my man and you're getting investigated yeah he did not expect this so I don't even think he thought that they were going to search his car like an idiot you know oh my god So the investigators did allow him to return home so that he could be there with his daughter and share this sad news. And they returned two days later to the Henthorns' home in Highlands Ranch, an upscale suburb 12 miles outside of Denver. Immediately, he acted bizarrely. He forced detectives to sit through a like 10 minute long photo slideshow of himself, Tony and Haley before he'd consent to answering questions. He, like, made them sit down and watch, like, a a slideshow first before they could question him. So this guy's just, like, out of his mind. He's just a bizarre human being. Yeah. Yeah. Um, When the slideshow finally concluded, he told them what had happened that fateful day. Harold claimed that he had spent months preparing for the trip to make an anniversary special for Tony, even driving up two to three months earlier to scout hiking locations. Yeah, he's
0: like, the X was just going to be where we, like, walked to. I didn't mean uh-huh. to have her fall accidentally there. Uh-huh. I also that was think just a coincidence. He, he
1: also probably knew that they were going to be able to find out that he had been to this spot several times. Like, he had been scouting He says, hiking locations for the perfect anniversary hike.
0: Nobody does that. He was doing it to find a place to kill her. And it's like, once again, off the trail. Like, come on.
1: Yeah. See, he said originally he planned on taking Tony to Bear Lake, but he decided last minute instead to take her to Deer Mountain due to the popularity of Bear Lake because they said that there would be too many people there and they wanted to be alone because it would be more romantic, which is another reason why he said that they went off trail was because they didn't want to be around people. He even like insinuated at some point that they were going to like have sex on a rock or something and this would seem extremely out of character for a very devout, very like private 50 year old woman with bad knees.
0: Oh my God.
1: Yeah, like I think he was just trying to pretend that they were that in love and that that would make more sense why he wanted to be alone. Uh, around four forty five p m. Harold claimed that they were heading back to the trail to begin their descent when Tony glimpsed wild turkeys and deer in her binoculars and forced him to hike down further off trail to a lower peak to take the photos. So this is also he's blaming Tony for like where she ends up falling because she's a, he's saying, like I wanted to go back, but she saw these turkeys, and she forced me to go down to this cliffside that I didn't want to do. So he's like even trying to blame her death on her. Yeah. And we her parents were like, that. yeah, they always do these assholes. Um, her parents were like, she would not care about freaking wild turkeys. First of all, they're ugly and they're really common, especially in Mississippi. She's like, we had wild turkeys in our backyard every single day. They're not a big deal. Like she wouldn't be like, Ooh, wild turkeys. I got to go
0: the rare wild Turkey. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: Oh, those dinosaur-ass-looking bitches aren't anything you'd take a photo of anyways. They're no. gross-looking. No. Yeah. Um. So he then said that the couple took turns taking photos of one another. Harold says Tony was telling him where to stand for a photo when he received a text message from Haley's babysitter. Out of the corner of his eye, while he was distracted by the text, he saw a swift movement. And when he looked back, Tony was gone. This is what he said happened. It's so convenient. So convenient. He didn't see her fall. He doesn't know how she fell. When he peered over the edge of the cliff, he saw her lying on the rocks below. It took him 45 minutes to climb down to where his wife had fallen, which begs the question, why didn't he call 911 as soon as she had fallen? So he didn't call 911. He decided to like climb down and determine how bad her injuries were before he called 911. And he climbed down 130 feet? Yeah. So she's clearly injured and unconscious. And by the time he reached the bottom, he discovered that she was still breathing. He then dragged her body over rocks to get to a flatter area where he could do CPR. In doing this, he said, her head and shoulders bounced against the rocks, Leaving a blood trail.
0: Oh, you're gonna my do God.
1: what? So he finally then called 911 after doing all of this, which is absurd to me because you already know you're That's in the not wilderness, how that works. you're off trail. It's gonna take them hours to find you and and rescue her.
0: So is it why would to go wait? off trail?
1: I, I mean, it should be. It's yeah. very dangerous. It's dangerous for everyone. Now people have to rescue your dumbasses usually, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, while reporting this truly horrific tale, Harold had absolutely no emotional reaction whatsoever. He told the story in a calm business-like fashion as if it happened to a stranger and not a beloved wife of 12 years. Like immediately the cops were like, this is not a normal response and the way he's behaving towards this is not normal. And even like yeah. a a friend of theirs was like, oh my gosh, poor Haley, is she okay? Is she handling the death of her mother as well as one can be, you know? How is she doing? And he's like, yeah, she's fine. Um, she's always been closer to me anyway. What a psycho. What a psychopath. What a psycho. When asked, Harold reported that he did have life insurance on Tony and that was going to pay of out to the did. tune. Of course he did. <laughs> to the tune of $1.5 million. Holy but shit, 1.5, baby. But it was supposed to go, supposedly, he said it was going right into a trust for Haley. So it was going to be Haley's money, not his. Confronted with the map evidence, Harold appeared flustered and emotional for the first time, hemming and hawing before admitting he didn't know why an X was marked exactly where Tony had plunged to a painful death.
0: Listen, I know we, like, cover a lot of these Black Widow cases, and it seems to happen a lot more than I would ever like to imagine. But when you have a kid, Ugh. and then you are going to go to jail, and the other partner is gone, it's just, like, really makes me sad. No, I mean, it's it's t- terribly
1: sad, especially if they don't have, you know, a loving family or guardian to take them in, and a lot of times people don't. Yeah, well, luckily, she- Haley had the Bertolais in this. I was just going to say, Tony's family. Yeah, Tony's family is okay, good, good. lovely, 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 lovely. And cool. they really, really, we'll get to it. But like, Haley's in good hands now. But yeah, okay. this is good, devastating. Good, good, good. Unlike the cabin accident, this time Harold called Tony's family almost immediately. He was texting Tony's brother, who's the doctor. Um, like while he was still on the mountain and saying like this tragic accident happened, I'm with her. This is what you know her blood pressure is. I'm giving her, um, you know, I'm doing compressions. I'm doing CPR.
0: So he's like, how are you all texting of- while doing CPR? Exactly, and that's Imagine. what they said.
1: And they said that he like sent like a million texts while this was supposedly happening. And he also kept lying to people because he kept saying like, oh, like getting off the phone or getting off the phone with the 911 operators being like, oh, my phone's dying. But it clearly wasn't because then he makes more phone calls and texts after he's been telling somebody that his phone is dying and he has to go. Wow. Um, So he's lying about everything. They also said later, um, the medical examiner said the speed in which the blood left her body, because um, when we have a traumatic event happened to our body. Our body actually pumps blood faster to try to get it to where the injury is to start healing yep. it. Yep. And so they said because of her catastrophic injuries, her heart was pumping blood at like an insane speed, which is why she bled completely out. Yeah. And they said that she was absolutely 100% dead when he was saying that he was like doing compressions that he was doing CPR. They were like at the rate that her blood was leaving her body, there was no way that he was A, doing anything. B, he was, she was already passed away, you know? Wow. Yeah. So, so they immediately like got together because they live close by each other in Mississippi. So they got together to like be together and to pray and to like wait for updates from him. And so when they received the news that she had not survived the fall, they, the whole family like reached the conclusion that Harold had absolutely killed their beloved daughter and sister. Ugh, ugh. Just, I can't imagine. I have chills thinking about that. It's terrible. Well, they grieved together and packed to go to Denver to be there for Haley and, you know, attend the funeral. They decided that they would use the visit as a fact finding mission, that they would mine every exchange with Harold for clues to give to the police. So, despite their disgust and suspicion, they would have to pretend to believe Harold's story so they could, like, kind of get close to him, stay close to him, investigate in their own way. But also because. You know, he's the gatekeeper to their only grandchild, you know? Yes. Well, only grandchild with Tony. Um, and so if they were like, you know, he he obviously has isolation tactics. Like he did that with Tony. And if they, you know, treated him like a suspect, like he should be treated, he would take away access to their granddaughter. Yeah. Ugh, but man, oh man, did this poor family have to grin and bear it through some egregious behavior on Harold's part. First of all, when they arrived in Denver, like before they even like exchanged niceties or like asked him what the hell had really happened that night, Harold immediately started telling them like uh, that he was being investigated and it was an outrage and that the park rangers were quote, like Barney Fife's just trying to make a name for themselves, like by investigating him. I don't even know who Barney Fife is. Do you?
0: I don't either. No, (laughs) I don't know. I don't know what that means but he was they like were barney fights
1: they were he said it a couple times in the book probably should have looked that one up um but yeah he was like real real pissed that they were investigating him and he was like you guys you have to understand me this is an accident it's a bullshit that they're like looking at this and now this got like even worse the next day because the medical examiner refused to categorize her death as an accident And so he was outraged. He's like, it's clearly an accident. And and they were like, no, we will not, we're not ruling that it's a homicide, but we cannot rule out homicide, you know?
0: Yeah, I mean, like, that's all, because if you rule it out, isn't it like done?
1: Yeah, exactly. Then it's like, kind of like case closed, you know? Yeah. So he was incensed about this, but her family's like, are you kidding me? We just lost our daughter and our sister and our aunt. and." you are like just going on about how you're getting targeted by the police and you're making this all about yourself. And you're not even, he didn't express any like grief or like sadness. Like, you know, like I, if this was a normal human, you'd be like, I am so sorry. I took her on that hike. I'm so sorry. I took her off trail. Like this is so my fault. And like, I am, I am so sorry for your loss and I'm in a pit of grief because I'm losing my wife. You wouldn't be like, I'm unfairly getting targeted
0: by the park rangers. Also, like this is like 2011. Like, yeah, twenty twelve. Have you never? Yeah, have you never read like any sort of true crime thing or like it's the husband always gets investigated.
1: Always. Well, I think it's because he got off so easily before, so we're gonna yep. move right into that one. Cool. I think he just thought he could do it twice. It's like piece of cake. Yep, exactly. So also the Bertelays wanted Tony's body flown to Mississippi to be buried with family, but Harold refused saying it was too expensive. When they offered to cover all expenses, he simply declined saying that getting cremated as soon as possible was Tony's wish. Okay, no, he <laughs> is like, my greatest wish is to be burned as soon as possible. Like you can want to be cremated, but you're not like putting a timer on it. You're like, If you don't get me into that fire within like 10 hours of my death, I'm going to haunt you, you know? No, I
0: think you want your family to like be able to mourn however they need to mourn. Exactly. And Tony's family
1: said that she had never expressed any interest in being cremated. She always talked about being like buried in the family plot,
0: you know? It's so crazy how like getting married and getting married to the wrong person can lead to like just a complete, it can shake everything with your family up. Every plan, every... It's
1: so far reaching and devastating. And this is why like, you know, you guys, I know you already knew this about me. My friends and family made fun of me when I was really young because I was obsessed with love. I was obsessed with like marriage in general, but like finding the right person. And like, of course I was like always- in love with whoever I was dating for like, however long that was, you know, but I think it's, you have to be really careful. You have to date a lot of people. You have to really like make sure your values are aligned. You have to really spend enough time with them to know that they're a good person, you know, because it will, it it is so far reaching your decision to marry somebody can fuck up your whole extended family's life.
0: Yeah. It's crazy.
1: God. Oh, also speaking of cute husband stuff. Um, guys, my husband also has a podcast. There's not a lot of crossover (laughs) in our interests. If you're interested in checking it out, it's The Breakdown with NLW. It is a cryptocurrency macroeconomic and Bitcoin podcast.
0: <laughs> but so it has
1: a crazy like listenership. I mean, his podcast is like a million times bigger than ours. <laughs> um, and he like did a shout out for my birthday. And he's like, go to Jesse's Twitter um, profile and wish her a happy birthday. And like 60 people did it. Isn't that cute?
0: That's Awesome.
1: It was it was really sweet. A bunch of people were just like, I don't know you, but your husband told me to wish you happy birthday.
0: So funny. It was
1: really funny. It was sweet. <laughs> yeah. So that was a huge red flag and so they they, you know, had to acquiesce to his wishes like he was her husband, so he got her cremated. Wow. And at the funeral, Harold had an assistant with a headset who was directing guests to seats and like running it like it was this big event. It you was have like- to be kidding me. No, it was like weird and off-putting. And the assistant, not Harold, told them that they could not sit next to Haley. And the assistant was keeping Haley away from the Bertolet's. Wow. Uh-huh. It's just, it's really sad. Like later on, Yvonne, Tony's mom, talks about how they had spent so little time with Haley, because he had done all of this to keep them apart, that when she finally saw her, she was like, you look like my mama. Oh my God. Yeah, because also, Tony was like a spitting image of her mother. It's just, it's, it is, it's devastating. So yeah, so he had that. So he's keeping them away from their granddaughter. They're like sitting in a weird place, which they should have been like right up front. They're her parents and siblings, you know? Yep. And then the entire funeral party was horrified when Harold unveiled a memorial slideshow during the viewing. If the slideshow was to be believed, Tony's life started only when she met Harold Henthorne. He did not include any photos of her as a child, playing basketball where she was a star athlete, graduating from medical school, any pictures with her family, any friends. Nope. Only photos of Harold, Tony, and Haley. And get this. Some of the photos didn't even include Tony. It was just pictures of Harold or Harold with Haley. Wow. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. So everybody, like even people that were like friendly with Harold were like, this is weird. This is super weird. And of course, the Bertolais were completely appalled.
0: Did he do the same thing at his other ex-wife's funeral?
1: I, I, don't think a think kid, okay. um, I don't have to that extent. Okay. I don't, maybe there wasn't like the technology <laughs> at the time to do a slideshow of that nature. I'm sure he would have, because he's
0: wow. a crazy
1: megalomaniac. So uh, the Bertolais began to work closely with investigators, passing on any bit of information that could possibly help and sharing their suspicions about Harold's financial woes, of course, telling the cops about the cabin accident, as well as all of the stories of his controlling behavior. As the investigators dug into evidence, it was clear that Harold obviously wasn't telling the truth. The timing of the text from the babysitter didn't match up to the time when he said that Tony or like based on the medical examiner's autopsy when it seemed like she had died. He also had told several people, including the Bertolais, conflicting stories about what he was distracted with. Like some say he got a phone call. Some say he got a text. Some say there was like something else he got distracted by and when exactly Tony had fallen. So he's not keeping his stories straight. Yeah. Investigators also estimated that Harold had actually waited a full hour before calling 911. Mm-hmm. Also, I think when he was like, Oh, I like dragged her over the rocks to like, you know, make sure I could get her to a place where I could do CPR. Like, I don't know what he was doing. I think that sounds like he was like covering for something. Like, he was like hitting her board in the head to make sure she was dead or something. Cause, like, you know, it's just, it seems so bizarre and grim that he would include that detail. Like, oh, and then I dragged her and her head and her neck hit all these rocks while I was dragging her. Yeah, that's horrifying. Horrifying. I also – I just don't – I can understand if she was in a weird place, but, like, I, I feel like you, you know not to move somebody if they've suffered a traumatic injury, you know? Yeah, the first thing people say is don't touch them. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, this was crazy. Plus, that – even though it was, like, 100 feet down – There was a clear way of getting down and the park rangers timed it from where he said she fell to where her body was found. Like they went down as slow as possible and his 45 minute journey actually only took 10 minutes. Wow. Yeah. So they're like, what the hell was he doing for 45 minutes? Like they were even like trying to go leisurely and it was still only about 10 minutes.
0: Furthermore, this this is not looking good for him.
1: No, he's an idiot. Uh, Harold had also lied about the life insurance. Talk about something that they're going to easily find out too. So he did have a $1.5 million policy on her, but he also had two additional $1.5 million policies on her. And they were all payable, not to some trust for his daughter, just to Harold. So his, his payout would have been a whopping $4.5 million. That is in. Sane. Insane. Nobody needs that much life insurance. That's crazy. How is that even legal to do? Oh, I mean, Nathaniel has a lot, actually. I told him I was like, if you end up dying like in a weird way, it's not gonna look good for me. You have a lot of life insurance. You don't I <laughs> <laughs> like I don't have one on my life. It's just on Nathaniel's. And I have a murder podcast. I was like, you better not die because they're gonna definitely think I did it. Got to keep you alive because I love you, but also I don't want to go to jail. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. So the most damning evidence was that over the course of the first three weeks of the investigation, detectives had received 16 different emails and phone calls informing them that Harold's first wife had died in a similar accident and to please connect the two cases. So all of anybody who knew him and knew about his first wife's death was like, you have to investigate this. Tony's death wasn't an accident. I don't think the first one was either. Wow. Yeah. People didn't like this guy. So Harold had met his first wife, Lynn Rochelle, at James Madison University in Virginia when they were both undergraduates. So her given name was Sandra, but she went by her middle name, Lynn. And Lynn studied ballet growing up, and she had an inherent sense of grace. She was beautiful with natural flaming red hair and had a great love for helping others, which resulted in her double majoring in social work and psychology. Oh, Yeah. Also, in the home videos, like, she looks so sweet and she has this big, beautiful smile. Like, she's clearly just one of those people that you can tell shine from the inside, you know? Yeah. Lynn was immediately attracted to Harold's tall, dark, and handsome good looks and his commitment to the Christian faith. While finishing up at JMU, while Lynn finished up at JMU, Harold began a master's in geology at University of Kentucky. Harold eventually got work consulting for Chevron in Denver, where the couple ended up moving to after their September 1982 wedding. The family loved Harold. He struck them as strong, protective, like a good Christian man who would provide for their daughter spiritually and financially. Lynn became a social worker and walked the walk in almost every part of her life. She learned American Sign Language to better connect with her clients. She ministered to prison populations and even spent weekends combing through yard sales to buy baby furniture and goods to donate to low-income families. Wow. Yeah, she truly had a heart of gold. So despite having bad arthritis in her ankles, Lynn took to the outdoorsy lifestyle and seemed to flourish in Denver. It's really interesting too because um, their families, the Rochelles and the Hentorns, um, end up like becoming close. And they were really taken by like the similarities between the women. Both women are beautiful, athletic, despite having like a, you know sh- – Tony had her knee issues and Lynn had her arthritis issues, but they were like still like overcame those odds and were very physically active. And they both were very religious and they both came from really solid, wonderful families. And they both did work to help other people, you know? Yeah, yeah. But I think it's also like they, I think one of Tony's brother's comments on this too later, it's like that type of good person doesn't see the bad in people. And that's like why it's easier to target them. Yep. For sure. Like if somebody who's ministering to prison populations and like believes the best in everybody, they're, they're going to like look, like overlook some red flags.
0: Yep. Especially if they're like a man of God.
1: Exactly. Mm -hmm. So they said it was like, they really took it. He took advantage of how sweet these Christian women were, you know? Her friends and family thought it was odd that Harold would force Lynn to put, put speakerphone on while they chatted with her, but Lynn told them that Harold wanted a marriage free of secrets and that conversations he was not a party to were in essence secretive.
0: He's such a loser.
1: He is, oh my God, such a humongous loser. Like- That is psychotic. It's psychotic and controlling and abusive. It's very, very, very scary. Yeah, that's creepy as hell. Uh, The deepest pain in Lynn's life was that she and Harold had been unable to conceive. While her siblings seemed to be able to have kids at an alarming rate, like her sister-in-law had like four kids in six years, um, she and Harold remained a loving aunt and uncle, but never a mom and dad. Shortly after the couple's 12th wedding anniversary, several benign tumors were discovered in Lynn's uterus, and she was supposed to undergo surgery to remove them and hopefully be able to get pregnant. Unfortunately, Lynn never got the chance to have the surgery and potentially become a mother because only two weeks after her diagnosis, Lynn was tragically killed. Harold's story of what happened to his first wife was the following. Either on their way to dinner or coming home from it because he switched his stories up again, just like with Tony, the couple's Jeep got a flat tire. Harold claimed that while Lynn was changing the tire- Lynn was changing the, the tire? Lynn was changing the tire, not him. One of the two Jacks gave way and Lynn was crushed under the Jeep. You make your wife change the tire? And this was happening in, okay, they got married in 1982 and it was right after their 12th wedding anniversary. So that's 1994. Jesus Christ. Yeah, no 100%. Pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> no, 100%. It struck the
0: investigators as odd too, especially because- Like you're making her change the tire either before or after dinner is fucked up. And then you're going to say that she got crushed by it because she was the one who knew how to change the tire? Yeah.
1: And that the jacks were, like, on purpose, not the right jacks for it. They were boat jacks instead of, like, the Jeep-issued jack that you get when you, you know, buy a car. It very It was very bizarre, the whole setup. And Harold kept changing his story different times. They left home, whether they were on their way to dinner or coming back from it. To one cop, he said the tire was totally flat. To another, it was merely spongy he could not account for how the SUV had fallen off both jacks. To some people, he said it had fallen off when he threw the flat tire into the trunk. It like, you know, caused the the Jeep to move. To others, he said it was the spare that when loosened fell and provided the impact necessary to jolt the Jeep off the jacks and crush Lynn. During the new investigation into Lynn's death, the detectives found that the original investigation had been botched from the start. The homicide detective who took the lead had only been a detective for five months and had never worked on a murder case. Witness had gone completely uninterviewed. Like there was like one woman who was on the scene and she ended up giving her jacket to Lynn because like he had like gotten the Jeep off her somehow or somehow gotten her on the side of the road. And this, they pulled over to see if they could help. And she had like left her jacket on the scene because he was doing nothing. It was like freezing. And she was like, Lynn was still like barely clinging to life. And so this woman was like, oh my God, cover her up. You know, like he was doing nothing. And they're like, like the people in her car were like trying to do CPR and trying to, you know, give the woman her jacket. They're like trying to like help Lynn and he's doing nothing. And these people were like, she called later to get her jacket back from the scene, from the police. And she's like, so has he been arrested yet, And they were like, "What are you talking about?" She was like, "The guy that definitely t- killed his wife. Has he been arrested yet?" And nobody wow. interviewed her. Wow, Isn't that crazy, yep, and they never went to the restaurant. Nobody called the restaurant that he claimed to have been at to see like when they actually were there or when they left, and they didn't run any tests like on a on the Jeep to see if even what Harold was saying happened was possible. Oh my God, yep. This is just- Within three weeks, they just ruled it as an accident and closed the case. Wow. Yep. So Lynn's family, they were just in a deep, deep fog of grief. And I think because the coroner and, you know, the detectives were saying it was an accident, they were like, I I guess it is. You know, you you did an investigation. That's what you found. So they were suspicious, but they like decided to just trust it and just believe that it was a tragic accident. And- I also think that when you're grieving, you don't really want to imagine that somebody who's been in your family for 12 years, and they were really close friends with, he was close friends with the Rochelles because uh, Lynn's brother also went to um, James Madison. And so like his brother and his wife, they were like all best friends from college too, you know? And so I think it would be like compounding the tragedy to be like, our sister died and our best friend, brother-in-law, son-in-law was the one responsible. It's like much easier and probably relieving to, to have the police say it was an accident, you know? Yeah. So the new investigators ran several tests on a Jeep using the same type of boat jacks to determine what kind of movement would result in the Jeep falling and inflicting the killing blow to Lynn. They could find none except for physically pushing the Jeep off of the jacks. They also found crime scene evidence from like they, they like tried to do the everything that he said, like throw the tire in, throw like the the have the other spare come off, like do this and that. And all the things that he said could have made the jack fall. I mean, and it, none of them did. None of them made the Jeep fall. Literally, the only thing that worked was pushing or kicking the Jeep strongly enough to fall off the jacks. Yeah. So Murder. Yep. They also found crime scene evidence uh, from the time of the accident that showed uh, like somebody had taken a picture of a footprint in exactly the size and type of the shoe Harold was wearing on the you wheel well. Gotta be kidding and when, me. Yeah. When they experimented with kicking or like pushing hard with a foot at that exact spot, the Jeep would fall from the jacks because he kicked it over. Yet, no one had followed the lead back in the 90s. Upon further investigation, the detectives discovered that Harold had cashed in on life insurance for Lynn to the tune of $500,000, just about. Money that I like read anywhere from four ninety six dollars to $600,000. So somewhere in that range, he collected on Lynn. Jesus. And it seemed like he had that money and that sustained him until he hooked Tony and now he was attempting to collect $4.5 million with Tony's death. So, of course, detectives are like, okay, this is an M.O. now, you know? Unsurprisingly, <sighs> at this point, they have to look into all of his life insurance activity, who he owns policies on, and who he is the beneficiary from, you know, or to. And they found, shockingly, that Harold also had $400,000 policy that stated him as the beneficiary in the case that Grace Rochelle, his former sister-in-law, should die. So he had a policy on her as well. Harold had remained close to the Rochelles long (laughs) after Lynn's death. Can you imagine, also, she didn't know. Wait, listen to this. And so he was particularly close to Grace, who had since divorced Lynn's brother, Kevin, and was now a single mother of four daughters. It seems like something went really bad in their marriage. It's like kind of alluded to that Kevin might have been um, unfaithful. And he had also like okay. made some bad business deals or something. And, and their their marriage had kind of famously flamed out. And okay. at that point, Grace was like looking for advice because she had four kids. She's now a single mother, and she wanted to make sure they were going to be financially okay. And she said at the time, too, she wanted a strong Christian male role model for her kids. So she allowed, like, Harold to, like, be there for her and be in her life and be in her kid's life. And so when she was questioned by the detectives, she strongly denied any romantic relationship with Harold, but admitted, like, later what she really thought about it, that he might have been attempting to steer it in that direction. Like, it was really weird that he used to try to visit all the time without Tony and, like... Recently, he had brought uh, Haley to visit Grace and her daughters and was like, I'd really like Haley to spend more time with your girls. Like, you know, we're family. And he was like really creepy about it. And they had like gone boating. And he kept making comments that were like, man, that Kevin's a really dumb guy to let you go and stuff like that. And she was like, oh, yeah. You know, at the time, I just thought he was trying to make me feel better because I'm like, you know, newly single and whatever. And I'm a middle-aged mother of four um but now that i look back i can see that he was like kind of trying to replace tony with me and also Insane. grace is really good looking too she's like on um she talks on the documentary on the id show and she's really really pretty um yeah so at the time grace had brushed it off but as investigators questioned her she's like hmm maybe there was more to that compliment maybe there was more to their our relationship than i thought And just like with Tony and the other women in his life, Harold had wanted to control Grace under the guise of helping her. Saying that he wanted to help Grace financially, he set her up with a life insurance policy. Grace trusted him with money as she always believed he was a self-made millionaire because that's what he
0: told people. So (laughs) this is what she told- That's usually what I tell people when I meet them too. It's usually the first thing that-
1: (laughs) Hi, Jesse Prey, self-made millionaire.
0: Oh Self-made. god! <laughs> That's the type of stuff that like I've really enjoyed not having to hear during COVID. It's just people's bullshit.
1: I know. Can we just not go back to having bullshit? Can we just be all forever changed and just be Eliminate honest? That bullshit. Yeah. We're all still not wearing waistband pants <laughs> and and no bullshit. We're all just <laughs> doing the best we can trying to like homeschool our kids on Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> Drinking too much, eating too much, just getting by. So yeah, so Grace explained to the agent how Harold had helped her obtain it when she was getting divorced and worried about her children's future, how he'd made the down payment on the policy, but how she'd later decided she didn't want Harold so deeply involved in her life. No, that's Smart. fucking weird. Yeah. Your ex-brother-in-law, super weird. Yeah. She told him to cancel the policy and she took one out on of her own through AAA. That's when the agent told her the rest of the story. Harold had never canceled the policy. It had remained in effect through December 2012, just four months earlier. What's more, the beneficiaries of the $400,000 were not her daughters and brother like she was told they were going to be. It was Harold. Wow. wow. I definitely
0: think he was trying to set up Grace as Mrs. Guy- Henthorne the third. That is insane, first of all. Second of all, incestuous. So gross. It's just, it also creeps me out because you think
1: like he had known Grace for so many years. Was he like creeping on her all that time? Like secretly Probably. in his head? Probably. Just gross. waiting for her to get divorced so he could swoop in there like a gross, gross vulture. Wow. Yeah. Meanwhile, Denver CBS affiliate investigative reporter Brian Moss began to delve into the case after Tony's death. And also, he also received anonymous emails telling him to look into Lynn's death. So he immediately was like, there's a story here. Um, He discovered Lynn's troubling accident, the insurance money payout, and that Tony's autopsy report stated implicitly that homicide could not be ruled out. So he's like, there's definitely a, a story here. This guy killed both his wives. Brian contacted both Lynn and Tony's families for help with the story and found both of them deeply suspicious of Harold and cooperative with him. When the Bertolais mentioned their skepticism of Harold's money-making success, Brian Mass dug into the tax and other financial records and discovered that Harold had not brought in a single dollar of income in nearly 20
0: years. Of course he hasn't.
1: This scumbag is bragging left and right about his financial prowess, telling the family, like, he's going to take care of Tony, that she doesn't even have to work, like, that he makes so much money, it made her salary look like a pittance. And, wow. and all the while, he's just living off of
0: his wife's and his dead it, wife's life insurance. Yeah, but he wouldn't have had to, like do all that shit if that was actually true. Like, a real a real man that, like, really is successful doesn't have to, like, make his wife feel like shit.
1: Exactly. Oh, it's so gross. Behind the scenes, detectives had come to the same conclusion. All of a sudden, Harold's motive for killing both Lynn and Tony became abundantly clear. He did Duh. not kill them for, like, just a little bonus money. He killed them because he held no job and had no ability to make any income without murder, apparently. Jesus. Uh-huh. Oh, the part that I thought was really funny was that, I mean, nothing is funny. This is tragic. But like, he's such a loser that they start like going through his phone records to try to figure out where he's been. And when they find out he didn't actually have a job, they had to try to figure out where he was when he would like tell the babysitter that he was going to work and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And so they kept um like pinging in this one location where his like c- cell records showed that he was. Okay. And so they're like, ooh, maybe there's like an affair. Maybe this is where his affair partner lives, you know? And it was a Panera. And he was going and sitting in a Panera pathetically all day, like pretending to have business calls. And the Panera employees were interviewing. They're like, yeah, we hate that guy. He sucks. <laughs>
0: He's like, another He's bread bowl, a- please?
1: <laughs> I sit this whole day, picking away at the same bread bowl, never tipping fuck that guy.
0: Jesus Christ.
1: Such a loser. Just sitting there like at your regular table at the Panera trying to like smooth talk the poor like teenager behind the register. Oh my God. What a loser. He's such a loser. Yeah, the Bertolet family were both vindicated and appalled to discover how he had lied and taken advantage of Tony and themselves because, you know, she was getting that, like, dividend from the family business, too. Yeah. While all the time bragging about his financial prowess. Yeah, you know, if you don't, if you have to brag about it, you usually don't have it. <laughs> that, yeah. That takes a the place telltale time. Too. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> After two long years and cooperation from the National Park Service and both Bertolet and Rochelle families, detectives had enough to arrest Harold for the murder of Tony Henthorne in November of 2014. Nice. Sweet, sweet relief. Harold was pulled over and arrested after dropping Haley off at school. Apparently, oh. during his arrest, he kept saying, I'm Harold Henthorne. Do you know who I am? I'm Harold Henthorn." And the arresting officer was like, "Um, "Yes, sir. I'm aware. That's why I'm arresting you." (laughs) Also, he didn't have a job. Like, what? Who are you important to? (laughs) Wow. Uh. So Harold delusional. So so delusional, and so Harold lawyers up, and both sides prepare for trial. So the two things that they were going to fight about, because you know at the beginning when they're doing hearings, they're like figuring out what they're going to allow in, what kind of information gets to get into the trial. Yeah. And the two things the prosecution really wanted to get in is obviously Lynn's death. It had to be involved. It's such a, a compelling piece of evidence, you know? And they also wanted to make sure like all the new evidence from the new investigation got in and um, the fact that there was a $400,000 policy on Grace and allow Grace to testify as well, you know? Yeah. So in order to get testimony regarding Lynn's death admitted, the prosecutor argued precedent based on an extremely famous World War I era UK case dubbed the Brides in the Bath. So I don't want to like get too deep into the details of this case because I kind of want to cover it. Cool. Um... It's a really, really interesting case regarding a bigamist swindler con man murderer named George Joseph Smith, who basically started off by like fleecing women out of all of their money, like either through insurance policies or like he married rich women and he like stole all of their money and then he like left them. And yep. when that started to get sticky because he was like changing his name and stuff and it was like a whole thing, he was like, I'll just kill them. It's so much easier if I just kill them. I also like inherit everything, you know? So then he started killing his wives. Um, And so what does Yes, as one does. So he was changing his names. He was changing his name between like these, but three of his wives died in exactly the same fashion. Um, And he at the time had been the only witness to their deaths. And so Mm -hmm. they had been ruled accidents. So this is very similar to our boy Harold over here because he was the only one that witnessed the Jeep falling, the only one who, you know, was there when Tony fell off the cliff. Um, So when they finally, like, put it together, because this is, like, very early 1900s, that all three women had died in the same way, they now had to argue to allow the previous two wives' deaths be admitted as evidence in the last ones, and they were successful. So that was the precedent they they were arguing. And so the judge did recall the case. Um, he said, the court in that case, if I remember, it involves a secession of brides who drowned in the bathtub. said the judge. Three, your honor, acknowledged the attorney. And the first one was just a tragic accident. The second one raised eyebrows. And the third one convinced people that foul play was involved. A little over two weeks later, on May 29th, 2015, Judge Jackson issued his ruling. It took him 18 pages to explain his reasoning. The decision was heavy on references to various legal statutes and theories guiding him. Though the judge never mentioned the brides in the bath case, its imprint was all over the ruling. The judge did cite a previous ruling that put a modern twist on the bride's case. The man who wins the lottery once is envied. The one who wins it twice is investigated.
0: Yep. Mm -hmm. There you go. Yeah, so that was a big victory. Finally, some smart people.
1: Right? Yeah, I mean, that's. I love that. So... That was a really big victory for the prosecution here. However, the same judge did not allow the Grace Rochelle, like she could testify about her relationship with Harold. That would be allowed. But for some reason, they were not allowed to bring in the evidence about his new life insurance policy. Because at that point, for some reason, he thought that it was inflammatory and not relevant, even though the prosecution was saying that it established his, you know, M.O. and his predatory pattern with women in life insurance. Yeah. But yeah, for whatever reason, the judge was like, no, we're not going to allow that in. And I think as far as like, you know, the prosecution being one for two, the one that was more important was getting Lynn's death involved, you know? Yeah. So yeah, even though Harold was only being tried for Tony's murder, the Rochelle family felt like if he was convicted, it would be a victory for Lynn as well especially because testimony about her death would be ultimately what helped convict him of
0: Tony's, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's whatever they can get at that point. Yeah.
1: It's like, this is a technically he'll only have been arrested for killing Tony. uh, But I mean, he's, he'll be punished for both, you know, in September of 2015, nearly three years after Harold took Tony on that fateful hike, the trial got started. The prosecution argued that Harold pushed Tony off the cliff purposely and with premeditation. The evidence that they provided to argue their case was the map marked with X ahead of their hike. This is insane to me. Phone records that placed Harold in the park in the months leading up to the accident on his scouting trips. And details regarding the apparent lack of resuscitation attempts despite Harold's claim of CPR. A big one there, of course, was the unsmudged lipstick, but also the 911 operator noted that Harold was absolutely never out of breath on the call. Like they have led so many hundreds of people through CPR attempts and they know absolutely that the person is always out of breath and Harold was not. Also at times that he was like saying that he was doing CPR, he was texting people, you know? Uh, furthermore, so the, ridiculous. <laughs> they can find this stuff out, dude. What are you doing? I know. Furthermore, the medical examiner testified that no resuscitation attempts were apparent on the corpse <clears throat> despite her million other injuries. They brought in also all of the Lynn evidence, including the fact that Harold's only income had been Lynn's life insurance money or Tony's salary and family benefits for the last couple decades. So of course, the $4.5 million payout on Tony would be a heavy motive, you know? So I think he definitely had gotten away with it to the tune of around $500,000 before. Yeah. And he was like, I'm going to up the ante now and just really like go for it and make myself a real millionaire. Yep. They also put Tony's mother, Yvonne, on the stand who testified about the cabin accident that had almost taken her daughter's life only a year before she was murdered on the hike. And another random thing that came out... was that a month before Lynn's death? Harold was arrested for shoplifting forty dollars of underwear from J.C. Penney's. Wow! What?
0: Yeah, <laughs> like that's, that's like- how pathetic he is. <laughs> that's like the dude from the um, uh, what's that documentary on HBO? The with Robert Durst, and he like stole a a bologna sandwich and the got jinx. caught.
1: Yeah, the jinx. It, yeah, it's so weird and random. So weird, creepers. Such creepers. The defense argued in opening and closing statements that Harold had been hysterical in the nine one one call because he did like he did play it up, and he kept saying like send a helicopter, even though they could not safely land a helicopter where they were. Yeah, come on, you man. know. So he was saying like send, I'll do anything. I'll pay for the helicopter. And they're like, sir, we cannot safely send someone. They kept like telling him that they couldn't do it. And so then like basically his defense attorney is arguing that maybe Tony's death was actually on the National Park Services. Maybe it's because they took so long to get there that she died. And maybe it's not on Harold Oh my God, no. Mm -hmm. Like what if they had just sent a helicopter and then they could have airlifted her and maybe she would have survived. So it's their fault, you know? Wow. Mm Mm-hmm. Also, they said like, is it totally impossible to believe like, like lightning does strike twice. Like this guy just has incredibly bad luck and he's suffered two tragic accidents. And now you're going to, you know, compound his misery by like taking away his freedom and taking away his daughter and ruining his reputation by putting him through this whole trial. Like you are putting a victim on trial is essentially what he's saying. Yeah, I that's like such
0: a crazy manipulative argument. But I just yeah.
1: huge eye roll. Huge eye roll yeah. on this. You're gaslighting the jury into yep. thinking this guy yep. is a victim. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um in a shocking move, the defense called absolutely no witnesses in Harold's defense. They didn't call a single person. They just were like, "We will argue in opening and closing that this is just a purely circumstantial case and you can't convict on that." Wow. Well, the apparently, apparently the jury felt otherwise because Thank after God. 10 and a half hours of deliberation, they said guilty as book, yep, as fuck. During sentencing, several members of the Bertolet and Rochelle families gave impact statements on how Harold had affected their lives. The statements were all heartbreaking, especially Bob, Tony's father. I can't even like get into it because if I get into reading the impact statements, I'll start crying again like I did a couple of episodes ago. Yeah,
0: we're way too close to PPD right now. We're so so hormonal.
1: Um, (laughs) So I can't. The only one I'm going to read is um, Kevin Rochelle, Lynn's brother, because he did speak about the guilt of not pushing for a deeper investigation after Lynn's death, which I think is something that would be very hard to wrap your head around. Yeah. He said, I don't know which is more monstrous to drop a 4,000 pound Jeep on your beloved or to push her off a cliff. The heartless avariciousness of this defies my ability to grasp it. We grieve that we didn't see Harold for the monster that he is and didn't ask more questions or demand a better investigation. If we had, Tony might be alive today. It's just so very sad. In hindsight, he said, the family should have seen through the lie, the absurdity of Harold's story about the Jeep. It was a lie and we are beyond sorry for not seeing it through it. We pray for the Bertolais that they will forgive us our blindness to the truth. There is no doubt in my mind, this monster planned and cold heartedly dropped the Jeep on my sweet, gentle sister with malice aforethought. And he pushed sweet, gentle Tony to her death as well. I think there is a special place in hell for someone like him. Wow, so well said. It's so well said and, you know, obviously it occurs to me that if there had been a, a better investigation that Tony's death wouldn't have happened, but it makes me so sad that the family feels guilty and sad
0: for exactly, too, yeah. you know? Yeah.
1: Well, Harold Henthorn was sentenced to life in prison, and I think it's without the possibility of parole. So he's he's in there. Um. So the special place in hell will just have to stay reserved for him until his timely death. Amazing. I know. I know the devil's waiting. He's got an RSVP, little reservation right there for him. <laughs> During the sentencing hearing, Haley's is guardian ad litem, and and. Per- you know, forgive me if I'm not pronouncing that correctly, but that's like the legal guardian that gets appointed during like contentious custody battles and trials and things like this nature. And her principal at her school reported that she had grown extremely well and very positively during her separation from her controlling father. Harold was a nightmare. He like wouldn't let any communications go through Tony. Everything had to go through him. He was deeply controlling of, whoever talked to Haley, Haley, as a result, had social issues. She had issues in school. She had issues with telling the truth because he was such a liar and children learn from examples, you know? Haley herself said that in the time away from her father, she learned to become more independent and how to tell the truth, things that she could not do under Harold's parentage. She even delighted in trick-or-treating for the very first time. She was like 10 years old treat before. She had never been trick-or-treating. He didn't allow it. That's horrible. I know. Nathaniel was so sad. (laughs) He was like, that's so sad. It breaks my heart. She was so excited to get to do it for the very first time at 10. Wow. So the court awarded custody to Tony's brother, Barry, and his family, and she moved to Mississippi where she thrived. Haley is doing great in school. She's singing in the choir just like her mother did. Haley absolutely adores being in close contact with her large extended family. And she has officially changed her name from Henthorn to Bertolet. Awesome. Yep. So she refuses awesome, to awesome. talk to Harold. Like technically, he's allowed to have visitation with her. And she's like, no. Nope. She's like allowed to go to the prison to have visitation, but she's, she's old enough to decide that she doesn't want to do that and she won't respond to Good as long as phone calls, which I think is very healthy. Good girl. Yeah. Yep. While selling the Henthorn home in Colorado, the Bertolais discovered many years worth of presents and cards that they had sent Haley that had been never opened and hidden from Haley. So fucked up so fucked up. Haley had barely known Tony's family due to Harold's abusive isolation tactics. That was like the thing that really got me was that thing that she said to her grandmother, you look like my mama. Yeah. So sadly in the end, the Bertolays lost a daughter, but they gained, a, you know, a granddaughter, a, a daughter, you know, for a niece. It's heartbreakingly bittersweet that in order to have a relationship with their granddaughter, they had to lose their daughter. Yeah, that's horrible. It's devastating. And Harold will rot for the rest of his life in jail. So that's good. That's the only good news. I think so, it must be really hard for him to have a prison job after not working for so long. I know, right? Poor
0: I don't think Harold. they pay that
1: well. No. <laughs> he's finally working, but he's not making millions.
0: <laughs> nope.
1: So yeah, that he is works the hard for the money. <laughs> oh god what a loser loser total loser so guys we're back we are back happy in to action. hear from you back in action please send your case recommendations i have a couple coming up that are listener recommended which i'm really excited to do um also please if you like this story if uh you like andy or me or both of us <laughs> ideally please write us a review it really helps <laughs> It does it doesn't. And we like to read them, too. So
0: that would be we nice. do. We send them to each other.
1: <laughs> we do. We screenshot them and then we we giggle, <laughs> so thanks for making our day in conclusion, beware of those Panera creepers that hang out there all day and pick at a
0: bread bowl. They're up to no good, no good. Also, if you have to brag about being a millionaire, odds are you probably are not one or you have something you're hiding. (laughs) Definitely not one, for sure. And as always,
1: trust your gut when it comes to love so no one ends up murdered in a so-called accident. Stay safe, guys. Take care of each other. Bye.